Good morning, everyone. Let me also say welcome to you. Um, Really glad that you are here worshiping with us this morning. If you and I have not met before, my name is Adam Radcliffe. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and that was Jonathan Davis, who was leading us in worship this morning. But really glad you're here, especially if you're visiting with us. Uh, Please let us know if there's anything that we can do to serve you. Um, I have the privilege this morning of opening God's uh, word to us. We are continuing our series on the New Testament letter of Colossians this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. Um, If you don't have one, that's okay. We also have the passage printed for you in the bulletin. We have a couple more weeks in Colossians before we transition into thinking about something else as we look forward to Easter. But last week, Brian took us all the way through chapter 3, verse 17, before hopping on a plane for Israel. Um, which means he left me to handle verse 18, which begins with, wives, submit to your husbands. So if this is your first time at Downtown Prez, you picked a good one. Um, But here's the thing, I really don't think that was much of a coincidence on Brian's part, because it it feels too planned for it to be a coincidence. You know, as I think about it, the picture that keeps coming to, to my mind is of Brian with this giant grin on his face, just lobbing a grenade up in my direction when while he walks away and says, you better handle that one with care. Otherwise, it could cause some damage if you don't. But that's a little bit of how I feel this morning. But in all seriousness, our, our regular practice here at Downtown Prez from the preaching side of things is to work our way through whole books of the Bible and to deal with each passage as it comes to us. Because we believe that all of God's word is for our good, not just the parts that make us feel warm inside. But even those that may confront us and call us to think and act differently. And that holds true for our text this morning. So here's how, here's what I want to do. I want to read the passage, then I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive right in and try to understand what all of this means for us. And let me just say this on the front end. This sermon is going to frustrate some of us. Because I'm not going to say everything that needs to be said. I'm not going to nuance everything that needs nuance. I'm not going to be able to answer all of the questions that will be raised in our minds. I wish I could. But what I want to try and do this morning is to help us see the beauty. With a little time that we have here, the beauty of God's good design for the family that Paul lays out in this passage, that it really is good news for us. And if you're here this morning and you're not married or you don't have kids, and I know there are many of you here, please hang in there with me because I I think this, this text has something for all of us as we think about how we relate to one another. This is Colossians 3, verses 18 through 21. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we need your help now as we open your word. We pray that you would grant us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would make Jesus Christ 
supreme in our affections so that it changes the way that we live, truly changes the way we live. We pray this in his matchless name. Amen. Now, if we're just casually reading along in Colossians, we come to this section of scripture, we may think that this is coming out of left field. Like, when do we start talking about this, right? But I think what Paul's doing here is he's just continuing to show how the good news, what the Bible calls the gospel, really does change everything including the way that we relate to one another within the home. Now, if you've been around, you know that Paul is regularly bringing us back to the gospel. He never wants us to forget what Jesus has done for us, that we've been rescued and redeemed, that we are not who we once were. And he wants us to be stunned by who Jesus is And if you remember back in chapter one, he lays out this magnificent vision of the supremacy of Jesus. And he says things like this, that he's the image of the invisible God. Think about that. He reflects what God is like to us. He says he created all things and sustains all things. And he rules over all things that he's the head of the body, the church. And that's really important for us as we begin to think about marriage and our our unique roles as husbands and wives within marriage. Paul wants us to know that Jesus Christ has supreme authority and the only proper response from us is loving and humble submission. And if knowing this Jesus... And in being in relationship with him wasn't breathtaking enough. Paul also says that the gospel means that you and I have become one with him. We've been united to Christ. And all that is his has become ours. Which if we just stop and think about that for a minute, it sounds really unbelievable if it weren't in the Bible, if it weren't true. But this is what is meant by the gospel. This is what it means to be in Christ. So time and again, Paul's lifting our gaze to see the supremacy of Jesus and what he's done and who we are in him because he knows that the more vertical we get, the more we seek the things that are above, the more our eyes are fixed on Christ and the more ripple effects there will be on the horizontal where we do life with people. At church and at home and at work. And when that begins to happen, then our belief, you know what we say about Jesus, what we sing about Jesus, what a beautiful name he has. And our behavior, how we actually live, will be more consistent And so last week we began to see what that looks like, how we become more like Christ. It's by remembering who we are in him, that we are new people, that we're not just new versions of our old selves, but we are new people with a new identity who've been given new clothes to put on that reflect what Jesus is like. Things like compassion towards one another and humility 
and love and forgiveness because when the good news really gets in us and on us, that we are loved by God, that we are one with Christ, that he's the head with all authority and we are the church who submit to his authority, then like Jesus, we will give our lives away for the good and flourishing of those around us. That we'll be less bent in on ourselves all the time. And this is where the gospel hits home for us, literally. Because Paul in our text begins to show how this plays out within the home. So what does it mean uh, to be a Christian? one who is in Christ, in the home? What does it look like for the wife and the husband and the child and the father within their respective roles to live out the gospel, to show with their lives a portrait of what the Lord Jesus is like? Who they confess to be Lord. Because we all know it's one thing to talk about loving people in the church, right? or forgiving the person who sits in the row behind you because they've offended you in some way, or serving the poor, as difficult as all of that is, but it's quite another thing to actually go home with that person and seek to embody those qualities, to wear those clothes like forgiveness and humility and love day in and day out. Now, why is that the case? It's because we are self-centered and sinful. And it's really hard for us to hide sin at home, isn't it? My wife Natalie and I have been married almost nine years coming up in April, and both of us can testify that that statement is true. That if I'm not leading well as her husband, if I'm not loving her well or my children well, it's visible to everyone And she's all the more glad to remind me that that is indeed the case, that I'm not fulfilling my calling and vice versa. But that's what sin does to us. It makes us lousy people that we're bent in on ourselves. All of that makes sense because it doesn't get more intimate or more personal than a husband with his wife or children with their parents where there can be deep, deep wounds and profound conflict where it's really easy to turn in on ourselves and really difficult to extend love to the other person, sometimes at great personal cost. But what Paul's insisting on here is that if Jesus is indeed Lord, and we're to be like him because we are one with him, then he's not only Lord at church on Sunday morning, but he's Lord We're sitting across from each other at the kitchen table on Monday morning. And it's in those moments when we, in our respective roles, have an opportunity to show one another what he's like, what Jesus is like. Regardless of the attitude or response of the other person as we live out the gospel in all its redemptive and restorative ways. Now, I want you to hear me. I in no way want to minimize the extremely, incredibly difficult situation some of you are in right now. But I do want to maximize Paul's point here, which is to say the good news is meant to bring life and health and flourishing to each member of the family. Otherwise, it wouldn't be good news for us. And that's what this passage shows. 
So here's how I want to approach this. There are two pairs of family relationships here. First, you see it, wives and husbands, and then children and fathers. We'll spend the bulk of our time on the first one and barely touch on the second. So second, so the outline this morning is really simple. We're just going to take each of these in turn. So what does it look like for the Christian wife and husband to dramatize the gospel, to image Jesus to one another within marriage? Look at verses 18 and 19. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now to try and do justice to this and get to what Paul's saying here, I wanna take a big step back so that we can begin to see God's good design for gender, for maleness and femaleness and how it was intended to play out within marriage. I'm gonna say everything that needs to be said in less than five minutes. But to do that, we have to go back at the beginning before sin entered the world and messed everything up. I think if we do that first, then it should help us better understand and apply what Paul's actually saying here. Because he's going back to God's original design. I want us to see that. That Paul is not playing to his culture here when he says things like, wives, submit to your husbands. But he's going back to creation and he's illustrating how Jesus redeems and restores those relationships. And if you were here last week, this shouldn't surprise us because this is what Paul's been talking about in this section. That there is a new humanity now in Christ Jesus and that new humanity includes husbands and wives. So if we were to go back to Genesis chapter one, verse 27 a really crucial verse. Here's what we're told. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's a couple things I wanna make sure we see here. The first thing is that gender, maleness and femaleness is part of God's good design. Right, because it says there, he created them male and female. So the fact that you were born a man or a woman is not incidental. It's not inconsequential to your humanity. In fact, it's at the very essence of what it means for you to be a human. And that's important for us to say as we think about and we engage our culture today where that sort of thing's being called into question. And, And the second thing, that's clear in this verse is that both men and women are created in the image of God. You see that? Nothing else in all of creation can say that. Think about it. You sitting right there as a man or a woman imaging God in your gender. You are equal before him which means there is not one who is inferior to the other. We are different, we are other, we are gendered, but we are equal. And as men and women created in God's image, we reflect him in unique and beautiful ways. That's what image bearers do. Let me stay in Genesis for just another minute and talk about marriage. 
But do you remember what, what God said after he created Adam? Remember what he said? He said that it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Genesis 2.18. So we see that there was a deficiency. It's the first not good in the Bible. There was a, a deficiency, an incompleteness. Think of two puzzle pieces that fit together, right? They're alike, but they're different. And they need one another to be complete. And that word helper there is almost always used in scripture to describe God. That he's a helper. And it carries this this idea, this sense of one who is, this is key for our passage, one who comes alongside to partner with, to strengthen, to fill in what is lacking. So what does God do? He creates Eve from Adam's own body, like him, but unlike him. And if we were to keep teasing this out, walking our way through Genesis, what we'd see is that from the beginning, Adam, who was created first, was called to steward his God-given authority and leadership. And Eve, who came from Adam, was called to be a strong helper to him, honoring and affirming him in that leadership according to her own gifts. And so when we come to marriage, what we learn is that it too was all by God's design. That in marriage, these two image bearers, man, the woman, equal but unique, would be reunited as one. And so we read in Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, two people, one flesh, and there was bliss and harmony till sin came into the world and messed everything up. The reason I'm belaboring this point is because Paul quotes that verse in Ephesians chapter five, a passage that's really similar to ours, where he's painting this beautiful picture of what marriage is by design and what wives and husbands are called to by design. And he says there in verse 32, says this, speaking of marriage, marriage is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Our union with him, our marriage to him. That's what marriage is. Here's what I want us to say, bringing this full circle, is that marriage between one man and one woman, both equal, both bearing the image of God, both with a unique calling to reflect that image as part of God's good design was always, always intended to be from Adam and Eve onward, a living portrait. to be a public display of the relationship between Christ the head and his body, the church. That's, that's what Paul's whole point is there. And so when we start thinking in those terms, we can begin to see and celebrate that our gender roles within the context of marriage were designed to illustrate the gospel in all of its multifaceted beauty. And when we begin to think about that, we begin to see that there is no lesser or more inferior role in that endeavor. 
but both are reflecting in profound and glorious ways what Jesus is like and what we as his church, his bride are called to do, which ultimately is to lovingly submit ourselves to him. So now we can come back to verse 18 where Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And having laid some of the biblical foundation, it should help take away some of the sting that's associated with that word there, submission. Because on the one hand, if we're honest with ourselves and we're not really thinking biblically, especially in our culture, it can sound demeaning and belittling, right? Not to mention that it's been taken out of context and redefined and used as warrant for lots of abuse. Which, by the way, the New Testament, get this, the New Testament never commands husbands to force their wives to submit to them. You won't find it. Their submission is always voluntary. Plus, they would flat out contradict what Paul's about to say next to the husbands. But on the other hand, doesn't submission sound like what every Christian is called to do? For instance, 1 Peter 5 tells us that we are called to submit to the leaders of the local church, which is one of our membership vows. You become a member here at Downtown Press. Submit to the leaders of the local church. We're also called to submit to the governing authorities, Romans 13, and those who are in leadership positions. Again, even though we are all equal before God, we have different roles that we play. In fact, to be a Christian means that you are one who submits to the Lord Jesus who has all the power and all the authority. The whole of the Christian life is to be an act of submission. And that's what serves as the basis for the wife's submission here. Paul here is saying that the wife is uniquely called to submit to her husband as part of God's good design for marriage and for the flourishing of the home. Here's a great great way for us to think about this. Is that submission is a voluntary yielding in love. Get that. It's a voluntary yielding in love. It's a willingness to take the posture of a servant. By putting the good of another person before your own, recognizing and honoring your husband's unique calling to lead and out of love and submission to Jesus, putting yourself under that leadership while using your gift to help carry it through. And when the wife does that, get this, when the wife does that, she mirrors the church. Yes, she does do that. But she also mirrors Christ in a compelling and beautiful way because this is exactly what Jesus did when he came from heaven to rescue us. And we saw it in our assurance of the gospel from Philippians 2, and we sang about it, get this, is that Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, part of the Godhead, though he was equal with God, what did he do? He emptied himself of his glory by taking the form of a servant, voluntarily submitting himself to the will of his father and giving his life away so that you and I could have life. And here's the thing, 
and doing all of that in his subordinate role, it didn't diminish him, but it led to his greater glory. It wasn't a sign of his weakness. It was a sign of his greatness. And so wives, may it also be true for you as you model your life after Jesus, this is how you were created with all of your beauty and all of your dignity and all of your gifts to reflect and display the image of Jesus Christ within your marriage. As you in your voluntary yielding in love to your husband's leadership, you illustrate the one flesh union between Christ and And his church, the gospel, here's the thing. It is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And I know that right now there are probably all sorts of questions that have been raised in your mind. Questions like, what if my husband isn't a Christian? Or what if he's checked out of the marriage or abusive or doesn't really want to play along or doesn't really lead at all? All of those are appropriate questions and deserve an answer. And I really hope that some of this gets teased out in community groups this week. But let me say just a couple of things about what submission is not, just so that we're clear. These aren't original to me. Submission doesn't mean that you always agree with your husband. It doesn't mean that you stop thinking or acting for yourself. It doesn't mean that you follow your husband into sin. It doesn't mean that you avoid every opportunity to try to change him, especially because your submitting may be the very thing that helps change him, that God uses to bring about change in his life. But wives, sacrificial Christ-like submission is the divine calling that has been given to you within marriage. And it's for your good and the good of your family and for those in the world who are watching. Now, husbands, the question is, are you leading your wife in such a way that it makes it easier and more compelling for her to come under your leadership? Because Paul quickly turns to us and he says, hey guys, Wake up. Love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Your duty, your calling, the way that you reflect Jesus and show that he's the one who's Lord of your life as you submit yourself to him is by the way that you love your wife. That is the kind of leader that you need to be. Here's the thing, that given the effect of sin on us, men will land somewhere between one of two, one of two extremes, either passivity where there's a lack or an abdication of leadership, and we got plenty of guys like that. Or dominance, where there's an abuse and misuse of leadership, and both are destructive. But Paul is saying here that God's good design for husbands, before we can blame it on our sin, is the way of sacrificial love. It's the kind of leadership and authority that looks not to self first, self-interest or self-ease or self-comfort so we can veg out on the couch every day. 
but it's the kind that seeks the good and the flourishing of the other person. It's sacrificial and it's joyful. And men, the model for us, just like we saw with the ladies, is none other than Jesus himself. Paul says in Ephesians 5.25, where he develops this more fully, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. Men, let me ask, does that even remotely describe us? Does it even remotely describe us? And I'm asking that for myself as well, as a husband. Because I fear that we haven't, as men, given a lot of thought to what that actually means. Because if we began to grasp the love of Jesus for us and all of our weakness, all of our anger and bitterness and sin and apathy and began embodying it, our wives would gladly submit to that kind of leadership because that is the kind of love that all of us long for. The kind of leadership and love that puts her needs first, that desires to see her flourish, that creates space for her to use her gifts. The kind of leadership that's willing to do the hard things and doesn't complain about it the whole time but does it joyfully and sacrificially. The kind of leadership that will watch the kids for an afternoon so she can have some time to breathe. Or the kind that provides shade when she's feeling burnt out or exhausted. Or the kind that cultivates her soul and leads her spiritually closer to Jesus. The kind that's tender and compassionate and loving. Husband, think of it. How has Christ loved you? Think of how patient and how kind and how gracious and how generous he has been. Think of how he used his authority while on earth. The one who created the universe with a word used his authority not to dominate others, but to serve them. Think of how he gave his life away so that we can have life. Paul saying husbands, husbands, Marinate in the gospel daily, considering Christ's love for you. And you will have all the motivation and all the power that you need to go love your wife with that kind of love. You'll lead not as a dictator, but as a servant. You will not sulk all the time, but you will joyfully sacrifice. You will seek her happiness and in so doing find your own Happiness, And when that begins to happen in marriage, when the husband is exercising his sacrificial leadership and the wife exercising her sacrificial submission, that those things are united as one, a marriage will sing in harmony as each of them in their unique roles embody the relationship that we have with Christ as the church. Because again, that's what marriages were designed for is to illustrate that. Let me say just a few brief words about children and fathers. Look there at verses 20 through 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke, don't make resentful, don't make bitter your children, lest they become discouraged. Let me say a word to the kids. 
first. I know we have some in here this morning. I wanna talk to you directly. Kids, how can you show a desire to worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ? To daily live out what you say you believe about the gospel. Paul says it. You show it through obedience to your parents by recognizing that your mom and your dad have been given authority by God whom they are ultimately called to obey, to parent you, to instruct you, to teach and model for you what he is like and to lead you in the path of joy and flourishing because obedience is ultimately for your own good So you kids, children who are loved by a heavenly father, show that Jesus the son is worthy of your obedience through obeying your parents when they ask you to do something or not do something. And Paul tells us why we should. He says, because it pleases the Lord. And we wanna please the Lord. And we wanna please our parents. And now fathers, I could go long on this one, but I won't. We know that parenting is a team effort, right? That's not just the dad, but the mom who instructs. But Paul here focuses on fathers because again, they are the ones ultimately held responsible for leadership within the home. So think of it this way. If Jesus were to walk up to your front door this afternoon and knock on the door and someone else answered it besides the husband or the father, Jesus is gonna say, is the man of the house home? So I wanna talk to him about some things. That's the unique role as fathers, that fathers and husbands have. We also know that our children want to be the authority, right? And that's gonna cause some friction, obviously, in the home. Paul David Tripp says that children come into the world as self-appointed little sovereigns. And if you are a parent here this morning, you can say a hearty amen to that because you know that to be true, that none of us come into the world willing and ready to submit to any authority other than our own, that that is our default heart setting. And that's why so many people today aren't Christians because they cannot submit, they won't submit to the lordship of Jesus. But dads, when we exercise authority over our children, if we discipline, we instruct them, what Paul's getting at here is that it must, must be a beautiful picture of God's authority. Let me read another quote by Tripp because it's so good, I can't say it any better. Listen to what he says. He says, in the lives of your children, listen to this dads, you are the look of God's face. You are the touch of his hand. You are the tone of his voice. You must never exercise authority in an angry, impatient way. You must never exercise authority in an abusive way. You must never exercise in a selfish way. Why? Because you have been put into your position as parent to display before your children how beautiful, wise, patient, guiding, protective, rescuing, and forgiving God's authority is. Fathers, this is our calling. This is how we reflect what God in Christ is like to our children, and we need all the grace in the world to accomplish it. 
And may it never be said of any of us that our children struggle to conceive of a gracious and loving and tender heavenly father because they rarely saw those qualities in us. May it never be so for us. Let me end like this. I am fully aware that all of this feels heavy. Because these are all commands here. One after the other. A lot of duty. And you might be sitting there this morning just feeling exhausted and burdened by all of it. And I just want to end where we started by keeping the gospel of Jesus Christ central because none of us live up to the standard that has shown us here. No one. And that includes those who aren't married or don't have kids. None of us perfectly reflect what God is like. And we don't always have compassion and love and forgiveness to the other. We fail to lead and submit. We don't yet fully dress the part. That's the bad news, but the good news is that Jesus does. And that we are one with him. He's united himself to us in a union that can never be dissolved or broken. We are one. So brothers and sisters, as we look more to Jesus, to the gospel, the more we grasp who he is and what he's done and who we are in him, the more we will begin to look like him and reflect what he's like to those around us. And whatever our situation, married or unmarried, with or without children, and all the obedience and all the duty that we are called to will begin to feel more like delight because we will love to live a life that makes much of Jesus, that shows him to a watching world, a life that pleases him. Amen. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you always remind us of the gospel, what is ours in Christ, before you ever call us to respond in obedience to it. Father, I pray for the wives in this room. Father, I pray that they would look to Christ the beauty of his sacrificial submission for our good that they would love to show that to their husbands Father, I pray for the husbands in this room as they look to Christ's sacrificial leadership and love that they would love their wives like that Will God make it so the kids in this room, Father, I pray that you would teach them obedience and show them that it's for their good as they look to the Son who is fully obedient to the Father and pleased Him. And for the Father's God, I pray you would help us to instruct and to discipline our children in the same way that you, our Father, have done so to us. God, we need your help. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.